بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه. The Jum'ah Khutbah is an essential reminder that calls the believers every Friday to increase in taqwa, God consciousness. This series shares Jum'ah Khutbahs that take place at the Al-Maqasid Seminary. Alhamdulillah. الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد مفتاح باب رحمة الله عدد ما في علم الله صلاة والسلام دائمين بدوام منك الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه وشهد أنه الله الذي لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له إله واحدا ورب شاهدا ونحن المسلمون وشرنا سيدنا وحبيبنا وكرة عيوننا محمد عبده رسوله أرسله الله بالهدى والدين الحق ليظهر على الدين كله ولو كره المشركون أما بعد يا إبال الله إني مسيكم ونفس إياي بتقوى الله on this blessed day of Jum'a I counsel myself and my fellow believing brothers and sisters to be mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to have taqwa of Allah, sirran wa alaniya, inwardly and outwardly, privately and publicly. This is the most important thing of all, is that we be people of taqwa here in this world and to meet our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala in a good state. And part of the understanding that we need to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the proper state is to understand the centrality of the heart in relation to our religious practice. Your heart is what really matters. The heart is the mahal nadar al-haq. It is the locus of the gaze of the real subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna Allah la yanduru. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not gaze at ajsadikum o suburikum. He doesn't look at your physical bodies or your physical forms. But rather, he looks at your hearts. And in some narrations, and in some narrations, intentions and acts are included in other narrations. But the heart is the mahal nadar al-haq. It is the locus of the gaze of the real subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the question that you and I need to ask ourselves is, what is the state of our heart? One of the ways that you know the relative health or thickness of the heart is to look at the thoughts that come to it. They say you don't truly become righteous until were you to put all of the thoughts that cross your heart in a day on a platter before people and to have them come see everything that's there. And if you are shy about anything that comes to your heart, we still have a long way to go to be considered to be from the righteous. Think about that. From the time that we wake up in the morning until the time that we go to sleep at night, the vast majority of things that cross our heart, we never utter. So the people next to us, even our closest friends, don't know what comes to our heart. So we're not truly approaching the degrees of the righteous until were we to expose everything and to lay it bare on a platter before people's eyes and they to see what comes to the heart from morning to evening, that we're not embarrassed about anything that was there. The heart is the source of all action. 
And this is the place that we need to be concerned with and to make sure that we beautify and adorn it for the sake of our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when we talk about the heart, we need to speak about the heart's health. And of course, we are talking about spiritual health, which doesn't negate physical health. Physical health is a part of spiritual health. But just as the number one killer in the country in which we live is heart disease, the real number one killer is spiritual heart disease. People's hearts are decaying right before our eyes because of the time of heedlessness in which we live. And we live in a time of lahu, where modern technology is making it so easy to be completely preoccupied with different types of entertainment and amusement until we meet our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and regret deeply what transpired for the few moments that we spent here on earth. The heart needs to be remedied. And I want to share with my brothers and sisters on this blessed day of Jumu'ah the five overarching remedies of the heart, according to one of the early pious people by the name of Sidi Ibrahim al-Khawas, who was a contemporary of the Sayyid al-Ta'ifa, the great Imam al-Junaid al-Baghdadi. And he said, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Dawa al-Qalbi khamsatu asha'a. The remedies for the heart are five. Dawa is medicine. Dawa is a remedy. He said the remedies of the heart are five. These five things, if you bring them into your life and you persevere in them and do them continuously with sincerity solely for the sake of Allah, it will take care of your heart into make your heart salih and to make your heart rectified and righteous such that you return to Allah ta'ala with a qalb salim with a whole and purified heart what are these five remedies the first is qira'atul quran bitadabbur reciting the book of Allah the quran with contemplation the second is Emptying the stomach, literally, i.e. cutting back on your food intake. Third, praying at night. Fourth, turning to Allah in supplication in the last part of the night. And five, spending time with the righteous. These are the five overarching cures of your heart. And what is meant by pointing these out is you and I have a regular staple of these acts as a part of our religious life. This is how we want to be. And this great imam who came before, Sidi Ibrahim al-Khawas, who was known to be from the elect of the righteous, from the elect of those who dedicated themselves to Allah Taala, and was especially known for placing his trust in Allah Taala, tawakkul, and for so many of the blessed statements that he said, this is one of the gems that came from this heart that was radiant and illuminated with the light of the Quran and the Sunnah of his, the Messenger Wasallam. So the first of these five remedies is Qira'atul Quran bitadabbur let alone abandoning the Qur'an, reciting the Qur'an, 
But not just reciting the Qur'an. Reciting the Qur'an with tadabbur, with contemplation. And the dubur is something that is in the rear. And tadabbur is the active process that you go through to reflect and ponder deeply on the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the meanings appear to you and settle and become fixated in your heart. And sometimes it's not difficult to understand what is being said. What is the affair that's more important is that it becomes permanent in your heart. It becomes a part of how you view the world. And nothing, nothing will clarify the path for the believer like recitation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. Nothing treats the great disease of ghurur, of deception, like reciting the book of Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala. And this is why we need to do this on a regular basis. This is a must for every believer. Every believer should learn how to recite Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala's book. And it is not just for the Arab. The Qur'an is for everybody. And it is a wonder how you see in so many places in the Muslim world, schools that were established that were not in places that were, that where Arabic was spoken as the native language, but people learned how to recite Allah Tabarakatada's book at the earliest age, at age seven, at age eight, by age 10, even though they, that being that thousands of miles away from the Arab lands, they knew how to recite Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book properly. And this is how you and I have to be. We have to learn ourselves how to recite Allah's book. And from the earliest age, we need to teach our children how to recite Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. And this is how we begin. We begin with learning the letters. Then we begin with learning all of the different ways those letters are pronounced with the various vowels that go on them. And then we start connecting the letters and then we can start making out words and then we know how to connect words and then we know how to recite even better and we learn the rules of tajweed. All of this is related to the outward and that takes a little bit of time, but it's not hard for those who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses to embark upon the endeavor. The Quran is muyassar. It is facilitated by Allah tabaraka wa ta'ala. And then after we can recite the Quran, and ideally that we're able to read a page in about a minute or a minute and a half. We should work on ourselves till we can read a juz of Qur'an in about 20 to 30 minutes. So we accustom ourselves to reciting a portion of Allah Ta'ala's book daily. The people before us understood the importance of recitation of the Qur'an. Read what Imam Anawi says in the Kitab al-Adhkar. The book is translated for those who want to read it in English. And he says, the most that has reached us from the Salaf about their regular recitation of the Qur'an are those who would do a complete reading four times in one day. Four khatams in one day. Now someone might think that's impossible. The fastest that I can recite a juz is in 12 to 15 minutes. So if you do the math, how could you even fit that into one day? This is if you look at it in terms of post-industrial revolution time and thinking it in terms of seconds and minutes and so forth and so on. If Allah Ta'ala places barakah in your time, time will expand for you. Imam Shafi is known that in Ramadan he would do two khatams every single day. Every single day. 
time expands for these people, especially, especially when you are immersed in the meanings. Time slows down outwardly so that you can spend time in the oceans of meaning of Allah's book. But I'm not saying that we have to reach the point where we do four khatams a day. The point there is the salaf, the people who came before us, especially the righteous predecessors, because the salaf is designed, defined as those first three blessed generations. They gave the Quran its haq. They gave the Quran its right. In all of the subsequent generations until this day and age, there are still places in the Muslim world where there are common folk that work by day that do an entire khatam of the Quran every single week. And in traditional societies, they place the Quran as a part of religious practice. And in the cities that I spent studying in, they would recite one-seventh of the Quran, so really one-fourteenth of the Quran from before Fajr until sunrise and then from Maghrib until a little bit after Isha. So one-fourteenth, one-fourteenth, one-seventh of the Quran they're reciting every single day and they do a khatam every week. And there were people that would do this for 50, 60, 70 years. So there's no wonder why then the wonderful things that we know about some of our parents and grandparents and the stories that we hear and how resilient they were and the way they were able to bear tribulation and their religious perspective and how they faced the vicissitudes of life. There's no wonder then why they were able to do that because of their connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. But when was the last time we did a khatam? Did we even do a khatam in Ramadan? Since last Ramadan, have we even done a khatam? Have we ever done a khatam in our entire life? There's a beautiful custom that some people have where they have what's called a fatha, where they start reciting, reciting the Quran. And then when they do their first complete recitation, they have a celebration. This is a beautiful custom that we should bring into our community where we encourage our children from the time that they're able to start reading on their own without making too many mistakes that we then celebrate their start. And then we celebrate their finish, their first khatam of Allah Taala's book, encouraging this in our community. Recitation of the Quran has to be a part of our religious practice. Without it, there is very little that we can do as individuals and as a community. And one of the great blessings of the book of Allah is that when you read it, it prepares you to embrace reality. It prepares you to embrace reality. We oftentimes live in a dream world because we have all of these fanciful imaginations and the way that we think and that all of these things that we contrive in our minds distances us from reality as it truly is. The Quran obliterates all of that and makes truth right before our eyes clear. We're all going to die. We have a job to do here on earth. Allah speaks about the nature of this world. So we have to understand how this world is. How much guidance is found in the Quran? Everything that we need. And as that one of the Sadaf said, is that the murid is not a murid. The seeker is not a seeker until he finds in the Quran everything who will yurid. Everything that he is seeking for. And in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book is everything that you and I need. But... We have to recite Quran with tadabbur. So not just reciting Quran outwardly, I focus much on the outward because I know that's where most of us are at. We still need to improve our ability of reading the Quran. And then 
We need to go beyond that where we start to learn the Arabic language. We start to learn the meanings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. And alhamdulillah, we have aids in some good commentaries, even in English, to help us do that. We have encyclopedias that teach us that some of the great meanings of some of the concepts and some of the key words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's book. And we should have this all on our shelf and reference them regularly. When we read verses, we should cross-reference them. We should look up and that other verses that relate to them or in similar meaning and so forth and so on, or explain them. We need to be active readers. Just as we should actively try to memorize the number of chapters and the names of chapters. And then the Mus'haf that we read from is that what surahs are in the middle, what are in the first half, first third, what are in the that last third, and so forth and so on. And the true masters of Allah Ta'ala's book, if you see them, is that they can think of a verse and then pick up the Mus'haf and go right to it without referring to an index because of their familiarity with Allah Ta'ala's book and how much they recite it. So we need to bring the Qur'an into our life. This is the first and foremost, most important thing of all, the purification of the heart, the Qur'an. And we're focusing only on here on purification of the heart. Otherwise, so much more could be said about the centrality of the book of Allah. The second thing that Sidi Ibrahim al-Khawas mentions is khala al-batan, emptying the stomach. What he really means here is cutting back on our food intake because we can't necessarily do what the people before us did and how they approached food. And I highly encourage everybody to get a copy. It a, has a red cover and it's translated by T.J. Winter, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Marad, the two books of the Ahya, book number 22 and 23, Disciplining the Soul and Breaking the Two Desires. And read what Imam al-Ghazali says about the importance of breaking the desire of food. And when you read this, you'll be shocked. You're like, oh my God, where am I from that? It will seem that far-fetched and far off from you. However, that doesn't mean that you don't do your part. And as our teachers have said, you should start in our time with when you want to take two more bites that you refrain from just two more bites. So you've eaten, but you want to just take two more bites, stop, refrain, hold back, start there. And then slowly over a period of years, cut back, cut back. Remember the words of our Prophet ﷺ, in this narration, is that no Adami, no human being, and another nation, Ibn Adam, no child of Adam, that fills a container more evil than his stomach. It suffices the son of Adam to eat a few morsels to keep his back straight. In this narration, in another narration, if he must. But in this narration, it says that, that if his nafs overcomes him, one-third for food, one-third for drink, and one-third for him to breathe. And you might think that, okay, how would you breathe? I actually that heard a story from a gastroenterologist where he was called in for an emergency procedure, and they thought that something was lodged in this man's esophagus, but it turns out he had eaten so much food that it had filled up from his stomach all the way up until his throat. And there was nothing that they could do. 
because there was so much food filled up to the point that it actually filled up all the way up into his throat. The point here is we need to understand the importance of controlling our food intake for the spiritual path. And I want to make a few suggestions here because we don't necessarily want to jump into just dramatically cutting back our food intake. That's not what's being said here. Let's start first and foremost with eating halal. Let's start first and foremost with eating halal. And along with that are many of the shubuhat, the doubtful matters and the doubtful substances that are in so many of the foods that you and I eat. And I would recommend an app, and I'm sure others have other that suggestions here. There's a, an app called Halal Scan, where what they did is because sometimes you can't tell by the ingredients. If it says natural flavors, you don't know what those natural flavors are. You actually have to call the company and ask them about those substances. And sometimes it seems like it's okay, but when you ask, it turns out that it's something that is unlawful and a substance that we should not be putting in our bodies as believers. And so apps like this help us where things, they seem to be permissible, but if you that learn about them, you find that they're not. So to the extent possible, this is where scrupulousness is. Scrupulousness really lies in our food intake. And unfortunately, in the average grocery store that contains, I think it's something like 47,000 products or whatever, a good percentage of them are not good for us to eat. Not in the sense of being halal, and not in the sense of even if they are halal, that being good for us, i.e. healthy. But this is where we begin. Let's begin with food that is halal. And let's put a little bit of research into it and take another step to make sure the ingredients that are in the food that we're putting into our bodies is halal. Because the problem is, in relation to the spiritual path, there's the two foundations of the spiritual path are halal income and halal food. If your income is haram and your food is haram, there's zero spiritual path. Everything that you do will be tainted with haram. Everything. Everything that you do will be tainted with haram. Your heart will be veiled with thick veils. A halal income and halal food. And again, this is not easy in our time. This is not easy. But ideally that we have people opening up the doors for the young people in our society, Muslims who are committed to their deen, to help them find careers that are halal, that they can earn a living to take care of their family. And sometimes within one career that there's that uh, different ways of approaching that very career, some are fine and others become problematic. In each career, it's important that we look into very carefully and find ways for people to that attain and receive a halal income. But also in terms of halal food, let's start there and much more could be said there. But then you want to add something else before we even really focus on cutting back. Let's also try to eat healthy. Let's also learn a little bit about the type of food that we are eating and how much we can that spare ourselves from that states of sickness and illness such that we're not able to worship because we don't take care of ourselves. We should be eating healthy food. 
And that could translate in a number of different ways. Part of that conversation is trying to the extent possible to that eat organic food. But part of that also too is to be very careful about the types of food that we eat. Certain types of oils are terrible for you. We should eliminate certain types of oils and not cook any of our food in certain types of oils, even if it's more expensive to get another type of oil. There are certain types of substances that are simply not good for you. We should try to rid our lives of those. And the point here is to encourage us in general, but this requires a little bit of reading. We need to be people that are wakeful and to understand the time which we live. If you want to be upright and you want to have your heart radiant, being careful about your food. This is a part of the spiritual path. And then we can move into the conversation after we're eating in halal food, after we're avoiding various types of doubtful matters, after we're eating good food that is healthy and seasonal and ideally local and fair trade and according to our temperament. And I know that sounds like it's a lot, and it is at first. But after a little bit, it becomes fairly easy. Then we start cutting back after all of that. We start cutting back, little by little, small amounts. You want to take two more bites, you stop. Making sure that you that don't eat too late at night. It's not good for your physical body, and it will prevent you from waking up at night as well, and so forth and so on. So cutting back on our food intake. And this is the sunnah of our Prophet Sallallahu There's a hadith in Sahih Muslim that says, is that where Abu Huraira swore by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, is that the Messenger of Allah, the Prophet of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and his family, is that never satiated themselves for three straight days from bread until they left this world. And this was by the choice of our Prophet Sallallahu There was times where he could have provided a lot of food for his family, but he refrained from doing so, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And then there was times where he was forced into that situation. And all of the benefits of hunger... Imam Ghazali has a beautiful section in the book that was mentioned where he mentions, I think, 10 benefits of hunger. The first is purity of heart. Hunger leads to purity of heart. And one of the 10 too is al-qalb. Your heart becomes soft such that then you can experience what is called the al-munajah, the pleasure of intimate conversation with Allah and you're impacted by his remembrance. And then three, is that you break the desires that lead to disobedience. These are three and there are seven more. And there are many benefits in hunger. And there are a multitude of narrations that he mentions that point to this. So we have recitation of the Quran with contemplation. We have cutting back on our food intake. And then three, praying at night. And literally, Qiyam standing and night at prayer, standing in prayer at night. This is something that we have to bring in our lives. Whether we pray before we go to bed or whether we go to sleep and then wake up and then pray before dawn, we want to bring this into our life because our Prophet said to Sallallahu The best prayer after the prescribed prayers, i.e. the obligatory prayers, are praying at night. Qiyam al-layl. We want to bring this into our lives. And when Sayyida Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was asked about the most amazing thing about the Messenger of Allah sallallahu she wept and she said what wasn't amazing about him. But then she went on to recount how our Prophet prayed at night. 
In other words, when at night people go back to the ones that they love, they do what it is that they like to do. That's why that so many people waste so much time at night because they actually have prayed their prayers. They don't have anything for a long time. And especially students of knowledge should not waste their time at night. This is a time now you should go to sleep and wake up and pray or pray and then go to sleep and then wake up or study. Don't waste your time on Netflix or watching movies or any of these types of things. This will get in the way of your studies. And then in general, people in general, it will get in the way of you traveling the spiritual path. But bringing prayer at night into our lives, this is the debt of salihin, as our Prophet taught us, This is the way of the righteous before us. This is how they were. And for the Prophet, it was an obligation, Because the sunnah of our Prophet, he'd go to bed just after Salat al-Isha. And he would wake up, wake up roughly around 11.30 to 12.30. And then he would pray all the way until the last six of the night. And then he would rest a little bit more and wake up for Salat al-Fajr. This is extremely healthy. And it is one of the great things that uproots all different types of diseases from the heart. And then fourth, At-Tadarra and the Sahar. Turning to Allah in supplication the last portion of the night. Even if it's five minutes or ten minutes before Salat al-Fajr. Waking up and turning to Allah. And I recommend that you get a subha that you that get a set of prayer beads and you just repeat Ya Allah 40 times, 100 times, 200 times. Turn to Allah Taala with all of your problems, with all of your concerns, all of your worries, all of your issues, everything that, you're, that you fear, everything that you worry about. Turn to Allah Taala and just say Ya Allah, Ya Allah. Realizing your absolute impoverishment before Him Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala this is one of the greatest things that we can possibly do to purify the heart. And then in closing, Mujadasat al-Salihin. Spending time with the righteous. This is one of the greatest things that we can do. Allah connects us to the righteous in the Fatiha itself. Ihdina Surat al-Mustaqeem. Surat al-Ladina an'amta alayhim. وَمَنْ يُتِئِ اللَّهُ رَسُولُ فَأُولَيْكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ They will, are with those who... They are with them. This is how we want to be. And there is extreme benefit in sitting before the righteous. And if we can't find them outwardly, we try to be with the best people possible. But you can still be with them by reading their stories, their hikayat, by reading that their biographies. This is a type of mujalasa, even though you are reading it with a book. And it is of the utmost, utmost importance when we bring biographies of righteous people into our lives, our hearts change, our acts and behavior changes as a result. And if we do these five things consistently day in and day out, we will find that the heart becomes more and more pure and the thoughts become more and more pure. And we're able to concentrate more and we experience the sweetness of faith more and more. We experience the sweetness of the remembrance of Allah Taala more and more. May Allah Taala bless us to bring these things into our lives. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> 
وعلى اله طيبين الطاهرين والصحابه المهتدين وتابعين لهم باحسان الى يوم الدين واشهد ان لا اله الا الله واشهد ان محمدا رسول الله اما بعد يا عباد الله اني مسيكم ونفسي يا بتقوى الله ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما صليت على سيدنا ابراهيم وعلى ال سيدنا ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد كما باركت على سيدنا ابراهيم وعلى ال سيدنا ابراهيم في العالمين انك حميد مجيد ورضي الله تعالى عن سادات الخلفاء الراشدين ابي بكر وعمر وعثمان وعليبا جميع سادات صحابك رحم اهل بيت رسول الله المطهرين من اعجاز وعلينا معهم وفيهم برحمتك يا ارحم الراحمين اللهم اغفر للمؤمنين والمؤمنات المسلمين والمسلمات الاحياء منهم والاموات ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وكن عذاب النار آواكم الله نصركم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيذكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله العظيم يذكركم واشكروا أن يميزكم ولا ذكر الله أكبر Thank you for listening to one of Al-Maqasid's online educational offerings Our mission at Al-Maqasid is to cultivate holistic learning environments rooted in knowledge, devotion, and service by providing full-time, part-time, online, and community programs. For more information, please visit our website at almaqasid.org and connect with our other online content at almaqasid.org backslash connect.